Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name is Bill, and this week I have a very special guest. I'd like to welcome Jane, who will not only share her journey of recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, but also give us a, an insight into the life and music of Peter Fraser. Peter died recently, but had been a long-standing presenter on the Living Free show until just a few years ago. Jane grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, so, Jane, would you like to sort of tell us what it was like in the early days? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I lived with my mum and dad and my sister um, up until I was six. And um, my dad was often away because he was performing. And um, my mother was left with us kids. And uh, she was a practicing alcoholic. And my dad was a sober alcoholic and um, member of the fellowship and um, of AA. And... Um, yeah, so those first six years seemed pretty normal to me and um, it was only when um, my mum and dad broke up when I was six years old um, that things started to change dramatically in my life uh, because obviously my mum was very upset and she was a drinker. Uh, she'd been with my dad 17 years and um, uh, she was like a ship without a rudder, I guess, uh, when the when the marriage broke up and sought solace um, in, in the bottle and um, subsequently uh, met other people to drink with. And uh, one of those people was a very violent alcoholic uh, who used to have seizures and um, when he was on benders, uh, he... Uh, was violent and we would we would have to leave uh, the family home and uh, go and stay in motels and uh, I knew that my family situation was very different to that of my classmates and um, I guess I felt different and uh, disoriented um, and less than um, and so I sought solace in a fantasy world, if yeah. you like, uh, started to live in my, my head, um, and books and things like that. And, um, yeah, because things that were going on around me were impossible, impossible to control. Yeah. Mm. So you, you said us, so did you have a another sibling? Yes. I had a sister who was eight years older than me and, um, she was like a maternal figure to me because she was so much older and she was very protective of me. And um, that said, my mother, when she wasn't drinking, was um, gorgeous and really interesting and worldly and a literature major and fascinating woman, you know. But um, when she drank and when she uh, drank with this violent alcoholic uh, boyfriend of hers... Uh, you know, anything could happen really. And so 
one could never know from one minute to the next um, what was going to happen when you got home from school or, uh, you know, in the evenings or it was just, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that uh, was unpredictable and quite scary really. So, yeah, so I think I started acting out from a young age uh, because of this and I used to miss a lot of school and uh, just want to stay home and comfort my mother. So I think I took on the role of the mother. (laughs) So what what was your relationship like with your father? Like I said, my dad was uh, very busy. Uh, He was... um, you know, he was a sober alcoholic and member of the fellowship. And so his life became more and more productive and disciplined. And uh, I used to see him every other weekend. And um, his life was very exciting at that time. He had television shows on Channel 7 and Channel 9. He was, um, you know, in the theatre. He had radio shows. Uh, he had a glamorous young girlfriend, 27 years younger than him, that he'd been in pyjama game with. And um, it it was exciting um, to be with them, but it was also kind of strange. Uh, and, of course, I had the uh, perception of my stepmother from my mother, yeah. uh, which, um, you know, made me sort of go into myself a little bit when I was with her. And... Um, yeah, again, lived in my head a lot. Um, but that said, it was a much more disciplined existence when I was with them, uh, with my stepmother and my and my father on uh, weekends, and uh, my sister was with us too. And uh, it was a yeah, it was quite a contrast to the to the undisciplined dysfunction of my mother's life. Right. So, how did living with your mum work out? Did, was it successful? No. Um, when I was 10 years old, um, the violent alcoholic um, boyfriend of hers was getting worse. Obviously, his um, alcoholism was progressing too. And um, he got quite violent one night and my sister rang my dad and said, you've got to come and get us. Um, and so from that point, uh, from when I was 10 until when I was 12 or so, um, I lived with my dad before he got married to his um, girlfriend, uh, who's now my stepmother and still is my stepmother. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Very lovely woman, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so how did how long did you stay with them? I, uh, well, I stayed with my dad and my sister until uh, until my my dad and my stepmother got married. So that was about two years or so. And then I went back to live with my mother who had um, moved moved house to get away from this violent alcoholic that she was living with and, um, you know, got herself a flat and um, had, you know, appeared to get her life together. Uh, after a, a year or so in a flat, we bought a house out in Box Hill and I changed from a private girls' school to a, a co-educational high school yeah, right. in puberty, which in retrospect was probably not the best decision ever made. But that said, I learned to type and do um, office work at that school. So I did provide my income for m- most of my life uh, as well as my singing. So. Yeah, but uh, it, to me, it was just uh, 
you know, there were boys there at that high school and that um, codependent pattern, uh, which had started with playing playing one parent against the other and being my <laughs> being my mother's mother and you know feeling less than my incredibly brilliant academic sister and um made me want to connect with boys you know because I thought maybe they might be the answer to this feeling of uh loneliness and insecurity and uh you know feeling less than you know so I sort of started putting my focus on boys instead of my academic future. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> As a teenager. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a break here. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Podcasts of the show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also available on iTunes. If you have a question or comment about the show, then you can give the station a call on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3 free at gmail.com or we're on Facebook and Twitter on at 3CRLivingFree. Uh, I'm talking with Jane and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism and also a bit of drug addiction. And also we're um, showcasing some music by Peter Fraser. Um, so I think we got up to the point where you, um, you'd just gone to a, a co-ed school <laughs> and you found another interest. Um, so how did, how did that work out in your life? What changed? Uh, what changed was alcohol was, uh, brought into the picture when I was about 11 and, um, I drank alcoholically from the word go, um, usually to to the point of just being legless or in a blackout or whatever. So, um, you know, that didn't happen that often at 11. It was just stealing mum's booze and things like that. But um, when I got to be 13 and there were more boys around and things like that, um, you know, the drinking was every weekend. And, um, and of course, I grew up in the 60s, so there was also uh, smoking dope and... Um, my mother's drinking was pretty heavy at that time. And um, so the minute I left high school, uh, got a job, um, I wanted to move out and um, get an apartment. So a girlfriend of mine and I did that. And about three months after we did that, I got busted with my first deal of dope that I happened to buy from an undercover agent um, and um, ended up in a remand centre. So that was when I was 16. And um, I went back home, put on probation, uh, talked my probation officer into letting me leave home again because of my mother's drinking. And basically my uh, poly using uh, or drinking and smoking dope and um, dropping acid and all that kind of thing escalated to the point of a psychotic state at one stage to two weeks in a... Uh, in a psychiatric ward from too much LSD when I was 18 and then uh, out to the country to sort of try and get my life together looking after a family friend and and then back to the city and basically I would, you know, get good jobs, keep them for a while uh, and then I quickly learnt that if I smoked dope through the week and drank and took stronger drugs on the weekend, I could maintain the job. Yeah, and um, so that's what I did. So that was a pattern for many years of smoking dope and drinking and 
getting into other things on the weekends. All my relationships were dysfunctional, codependent, um, or usually with other addicts and alcoholics because anybody else wouldn't have put up with me. And um, I would be bored with anyone that I ever went out with who was um, sane. Or normal. Yeah. <laughs> or normal, you know. I just was, couldn't be bothered with them. So um, anyway, that sort of took me to uh, New Zealand uh, to meet uh, my my son's father. My, my son's now 42. And um, I came back pregnant without my son's father. And uh, my family supported me. But all this time... Um, you know, my drinking and drugging were still going on. I did my best to be a young mother and and minimise my using. And, um, you know, it just, just sort of escalated when I met a guy that was a heroin user and um, started to dabble in heroin a bit. Luckily, I didn't really like the um, downstone of heroin. So uh, that relationship didn't last and... Uh, I decided to look for greener pastures and go and live in the States with my son uh, in 1979 and that's when my drug drug using um, escalated. Um, luckily for my codependent pattern, I used to make sure my son had good babysitters and was well looked after, but, um, you know, and I'd get good jobs and they were all soluble in um, alcohol and um and my partying, you know, and I was more of an up-drug person, coke and speed and booze. I could drink lots on them and then smoking dope when I wanted to come down a bit. And um, I knew that I was out of control. I knew that I had to get back to Australia. Two and a half years I was in Las Vegas, of all places. Yeah. Uh, great for my performing uh, aspect of my life, but not really great for my drug addiction. And... Um, and alcohol addiction. So, so what did you? What did your dad think? Uh, look, my dad was um, amazing. Really, he never told me I was an addict or alcoholic. He knew better because he knew I had to be the one to decide that. Uh, he was very accepting of all my crazy stories, and um, you know, he would just ask me to be careful and. Uh, you know, they were always there for me, my family. We were always there in the background thinking, oh, my God, what she's, what's she going to do now, you know. But, um, yeah, but my dad did have a positive influence on me because he was in the program. And, um, and my mum, even though she was a drinker, was very loving and supportive when she wasn't on a bender. Yep. Uh, and uh, she was always there for me too. And, in fact, she was the one that, talked my stepmother and my dad into giving me the money to come home after two and a half years in America. And um, I came home in 1981. And uh, it was actually shortly after that, uh, that I met Peter Fraser. Oh. Uh, it was actually Peter Fraser who was in a band with my beautiful daughter's dad. Uh, my daughter's 32, 10 years younger than her brother. And uh, Peter was playing saxophone in uh, Matthew's band, um, a band called High Life. And um, High Life was an Afro-Cuban uh, band um, and uh, they were fantastic, really great, great band. And uh, that's when I met the beautiful Peter Fraser and I just thought he was a very sophisticated and uh, 
gorgeous man and talked 10 to the dozen and uh, very worldly. He'd done a lot of traveling. Um, and, um, yeah, I, th- I thought he was a fascinating man. And they were wild and crazy days, uh, 1982 um, to 84 was when my drinking and drugging really escalated. And um, I used to sit around totally stoned off my brain on all sorts of things, booze and smoking dope and powders, and say to my friends who were all stoned too that I was going to give up. And they'd all laugh and pass me the bong, you know. But um, I sort of knew a couple of years beforehand that uh, I'd really got close to having enough. Yeah. So how did that manifest in you? uh, I don't know. I just, um, I guess I was just frantically trying to keep everything together, um, trying to control everything, trying to get to work, trying to look after my son, living with an alcoholic mother. Um, you know, trying to keep together a relationship and it was always high drama, um, you know, because I'd be fine when I was not completely out of control, but um, it was when I'd be on the benders and then that would affect my behaviour and uh, I started to have, you know, run-ins with the law. I got busted with a pound of dope in my bush and uh, (laughs) being a manipulative addict alcoholic, i convinced my uh, solicitor and the police that I wasn't trafficking, that <laughs> it was just for personal use. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and um, anyway, I got off with a good behaviour bond and my relationship with my my daughter's father was uh, really on its last legs, you know, um, because when he wasn't around, I felt abandoned, I felt unloved, I felt you know, um, that he didn't really love me enough. And so I sought solace with old boyfriends and, you know, it was just a totally dysfunctional, out of control uh, situation. And I, you know, felt lonely in a crowded room. I had a lot of self-pity. I was full of resentment. Um, I was a poor girl having a bad trot. I couldn't see it was the drugs and alcohol. I just couldn't see it. So denial's not just a river in Egypt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I was full of denial. And I couldn't see that I was like my dad. In fact, I, I or my mum, I, I didn't see my mum as an alcoholic because my dad always said she was a deliberate drunk. But that was his denial, obviously. Um, but, um, yeah, I couldn't see that I, that I had the addictive... Jean, I thought I was just a party girl controlling my partying, but it was starting to get out of control the yeah. last couple of years. So I started to think, well, you know, how am I going to stop this? How am I going to do it? You know? Yeah. And and what happened? What happened <clears throat> was, uh, you know, I believe everyone that gets clean um, or everyone that recognises their recognizes their addictive personalities. Uh, finds himself in a situation where somebody else points them in the right direction. And I was working with a lady who was a sober member of AA and I used to come in on a Tuesday instead of a Monday or miss a Friday and tell her all my stories of uh, partying on the weekends and she'd just smile and nod and hand me a cup of coffee, you know. And then uh, I had this really bad bender at the end of my drinking and using and... um, 
You know, I disappointed a fa- close family member at a party. I promised I wouldn't get out of it and I just made an absolute ass of myself and I had, um, you know, eight-hour block of time that I didn't remember a single thing and that was scary. I'd actually driven drunk with my mother and my son in the car. This was all pointed out to me the next morning. And even my mother said, oh, you're just like your dad. You've got a problem with alcohol, you know, <laughs> not saying that she had one too. Um, but anyway, so that was the dark night of the soul for me. I laid in my bed and I'd remembered working with this lady, Phyllis, her name was, my little angel, uh, that, um, you know, that she would take me to a meeting and maybe I was an alcoholic like my dad. And I said one line that I've heard at millions of meetings everywhere I've been for the last 34 years, God, please help me. And I found myself in a a young people's group of uh, AA in Nicholson Street on the 11th of of December, 1984. And I saw a few friends of mine there from my drinking days and... um, I felt like I'd come home. I felt like I'd walked into the right room for the first time in my life and and that I had some people there that totally understood me. And uh, I felt a great sense of relief and um, I thought I'd done the steps already at my first meeting. <laughs> I had no idea, but anyway, uh, it was the beginning. At least I'd taken the first step and um, that was a great relief to me. Okay. Mm. Well, listen, we might take a break there. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Jane, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction, and also having a chat about Peter Fraser and um, Jane's relationship with Peter um, over the years. So, Jane, do you want to talk about how you met Peter? Yeah, I met Pete when he was uh, playing in a band with my daughter's father. And, uh, of course, we were all, you know, using addicts in in those early days in 1982. And then I got uh, clean and sober in 1984. And um, shortly after that, I ran into Peter and asked him, would he play in my Living Proof band in 1985? You heard a track of ours earlier. And um, everybody in the band was clean and sober except for Peter. (laughs) And uh, he was actually using heroin addict at that time. And um, But I believe the seed of recovery was planted then, uh, hanging out with all us uh, living proof members. (laughs) And uh, anyway, so he came to me in 1990. I'd been sober a few years by then. And I took him to his first NA meeting and... uh, you know, he took a little while to put everything down, but uh, to his credit, um, or to the credit of a power greater than himself, uh, he put everything down, I think, in 98. And uh, he uh, had almost 20 years up when he passed away recently. And um, like I said, we maintained our friendship all these years. And uh, of course, as you know, he, he ran this beautiful show and then he devoted a lot of his time to um, working with with addicts both here and overseas, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Burma uh, and working with young drug addicted children um, who were actually drug runners for the mafia 
uh, as young as nine, ten, and eleven years old in yeah. Afghanistan and Pakistan, and uh, you know, and he took photographs of everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've just been with his ex partner cleaning out his house, and um, you know, and an, another friend of his was he was hoping to document all these photos, but. Um, Wow, uh, he was out. just such a selfless man and such a beautiful, yeah. joyful, full of life, uh, beautiful man. And I'm, I was honoured to be able to uh, put together his funeral because he was estranged from his family. And it was an absolute honour and a tribute uh, to him. I think it was a beautiful day. Everyone really enjoyed celebrating his life. Yeah, there was mm. a lot of people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a good turnout. He would have been happy with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I understand he used to spend about six months overseas. Yeah, yeah. He would he would just get through uh, one trip and uh, he would contact me and he'd say, let's go to a meeting and let's go have something to eat or, you know, have a coffee and he'd tell me about all these travels or come round to my place and bring round all these photos and, um, wow, he was just on fire. He was just really, really happy to be of service uh, with these young kids that had been caught up in the whole addiction thing and really big in NA um, overseas, like a, a big sort of beacon of hope, if you like, um, to to these people uh, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, yeah. and so did they have meetings over there? Yeah, they started a, a drug rehabilitation centre and meetings, and it was by I don't know the guy's name, but it was a clean member of NA who was lucky enough to be successful in his life that um, started the drug rehab there and um, in Afghanistan, and. Um, yeah, who, Peter was totally involved in all that and um, just really loved helping others. And yeah. I understand also he adopted a daughter. Yes, he yeah. adopted a young girl, uh, a Burmese girl. Uh, and, of course, you know, Burma, Myanmar, uh, just a tragic history of, um, you know, abuse and uh, drug lords and... Um, you know, just tragic killings and, you know, just shocking, shocking history. And um, he was just so happy to be able to change the life of one person. Uh, and she's a very happy woman now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she benefited from Peter's estate and uh, has got a little baby and her mum. And they rang me actually a couple of weeks ago and um, spoke to me and um, they're very, very happy that they're, Beautiful Peter Daddy, they called him, uh, has uh, changed their lives. Right. Mm. Oh, good. Um, so once you got into AA and mm. got serious about recovery, what was what was the thing that helped you the most? Uh, the program, definitely yeah. the program. Uh, you know, I've still got friends in the fellowship that I've had for 34 years and the fellowship's a very important thing uh, and meetings are very important. But, um, you know, for me, I can take the program anywhere I go. Uh, uh, I've, you know, constantly worked the steps in my life Um uh, I found the AA program, the text, uh, the first 164 pages of the AA big book, uh, ha had it all for me, said it all, um, and, um, you know, it brought me 
to know the person that made me use and I like to pass that on to others and I've still got sponsees that I see regularly uh, that I took through the program and um and you know I love it when I go to meetings um when friends are having anniversaries or uh, when sponsees are having anniversaries and but the most important thing for me is the program yeah uh, because it keeps me honest yeah <laughs> so how did you go with your drug use as well was that as easy uh, I never picked up another drink from my first AA meeting but it took me uh, a couple of false starts to put down smoking dope because um, I could see externally all the damage that alcohol was doing uh, but uh, I didn't recognise initially the damage that smoking dope was doing to me. Uh, it's a big space invader, that one. And so I relapsed a couple of times on sp- uh, smoking dope and one in early recovery and uh, one t- after two years. And it was like an out-of-body experience. I could really see that the addiction had progressed and that I was keeping up with everybody who was smoking and that it didn't affect me, um, didn't make me stoned. It just made me paranoid and made me feel, you know, that the two years I had in the fellowship um, was worthwhile because it showed me that I was not attracted to it and um, that I could see my disease in action. And um, so luckily since that point in 1987, 22nd of April, uh, I haven't found it necessary to pick up any drug. Um, And I'm so grateful for that. I'm Mm -hmm. just, my life is just full of gratitude. Every promise in the AA Big Book has come true in my life. I've got two beautiful children, three beautiful grandchildren that have never seen me use. Um, I'm open to helping others in every area of my life and um, it's all because of that program. Yeah. Uh, so was your dad still alive when you stopped? Yes, yeah. yes. We used to go to meetings together. Oh, wow. And uh, also my mum, who was uh, actively drinking, she had two years sobriety when she died. She came to meetings with me too. So right. talk about blessings and promises um yeah. to sit at an aa meeting with my mother in the chair uh <laughs> was uh it was like everything had come full circle you know yeah yeah how old was she when she got into the fellowship 74 whoa and she had two years sobriety when she died a little yeah. over two years sobriety yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah. amazing it was just amazing really yeah. mm. um so you talked about aa as being your second home so what's that like, you know, coming from being sort of disconnected most of your life? What's mm. it like coming home? Oh, look, it's it's a relief, you know, because um I know I've still got the <laughs> I know I've still got that other side of me and um that other side of me um needs other people that understand that, you know. Um you know, there. You know, I, I think of that old movie, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. You know, um, I've still got the ism, and so there's no alcohol or drugs. But my problem is selfishness, self-centeredness. That's the root of my problem. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, but luckily, the process of utilising the program has become easier over the years. And I admit, I'm wrong a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh, if I'm in the past, I'm wrong, and that's it. Yeah. If I'm uh, trying to defend, I'm wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm wrong. So, uh, but that took years of walking the walk, talking the talk, going to the meetings, being there for others, doing service, 
utilising the program in all my affairs and still doing that today um, and when wrong, promptly admitting it, you know, and yeah. um, that's freedom. Yeah. Yeah, knowing right. I'm wrong is freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I never I never would have said that in 1983. <laughs> no, no, no. Because yeah. um, otherwise you're, uh, you're always making up stories and you're always trying to remember who you told which story to. That's <laughs> Which is shocking. It's shocking. (laughs) Oh, what a tangled web we weave, eh? Yep, Mm. yep, that's right. Um, So what what sort of – how's your relationship with your children now, Mm. you know, um, compared with when you were an alcoholic – when you were active? Uh, Well, like I said, my son was nine when I got sober and, um, yeah, he uh, he was being minded a lot by my alcoholic mother and other babysitters, and he was uh, very pleased and overjoyed to have his mother back. And, um, yeah. of course, my daughter's never seen me drink or use because uh, he's he's 10 years older than her. But my son became part of my AA life. He came to all the meetings with me, you yeah. know. Uh, he, he all of a sudden had this great group of people that were all embracing and he went from having a very small family to having a very big Large family. family yeah. And, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying the early years in recovery were easy. Uh, you know, that there was a lot of work to do uh, to find out the woman that made me use, uh, to find out who she was. And so, you know, there was a lot of anger. And I lost my mother, my father and my sister in uh, 1986 and 1988. So I had a lot of loss, uh, broke up with my daughter's father started a new dysfunctional relationship (laughs) three months later so uh and that broke up too and so there was a lot of loss and grief and abandonment and a lot of patterns to look at uh so it wasn't easy but it was worth it yeah Uh, and that's what a lot of people say alcoholics say that once they get sober it doesn't really matter what happens you Mm. don't you don't turn back because you realize that that's danger. Mm, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And actually that relapse was, uh, you know, I, I know it's not probably a positive thing to say relapse is a good thing, but for me personally, because I learned from it and I'd had that two years in AA and NA, uh, it, it was a turning point for me to not just walk the walk and talk the talk psychologically, mm. but to actually live it in my heart. And uh, I believe I've done that since. And you know, losing your whole family isn't easy. I never picked up. Mm, yeah. um, a lot of things happened I never picked up, you mm. know. And um, But I had a great support group and I had the program. So mm. Mm. Uh, so, so did it help your music? Your, oh, yeah, yeah, because I used to sit around in pubs and clubs and dives and smoke-filled rooms and talk about all the bands I was going to start and all yeah. the music I was going to do and... In recovery, I did it all, yeah. you know, so I've had so many musical ventures and they've all been mildly successful and, um, you know, I've been able to have a creative life and not just talk about it yeah. and I've be able, been able to have a loving family where conflicts come up and we resolve them and uh, we have a functional relationship like uh, – most people, <laughs> yeah, 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 and we've got a lot of tools to use, you know, because they've been influenced like I was from my dad. They've been influenced by me mm. and the positive uh, attributes of living free. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah, the other thing, a lot of people think that um, 
a bad example, like your mum is a bad example uh, when she's drinking. But in real terms, you, as a, as a child of an alcoholic, you you can see what they're doing. You can see the person, and you can go, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you know any example is good for children. You know, mm. it's not it's not all bad if you've got mm. an alcoholic parent. No, it's just you can see what happens. Yeah, you can see what happens. You can see they're not present for you when they're drunk, and that they're. And that they're kind of powerless over it. You can see that yeah. from from a young age, and mm. you know, and um, yeah. So she was beautiful when she was sober, and just uh, a mess when she wasn't. And then that made me angry because she wasn't there for me. Yeah, you know, but but I knew she didn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> so I could tell she she wasn't responsible. No. You know. Yeah. 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 Which is good. Mm. Okay. Well, listen. Um, we might. Stop there. Um, time's just about up. So uh, I'd like to thank Jane for coming in today and sharing her recovery story with us and giving us an insight into the life and music of Peter Fraser. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from addictions and we'll be joined by some members of another 12-step fellowship. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.